Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So if you're just joining with us today, we have been in a series for a little while called Supernatural Gifts, and we actually started this series quite a while earlier with a series called Giver and Users, and we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit gives gifts to us, gives spiritual gifts, and then how do we learn to use them. And through this chunk of the series, we've been talking about the chunk that often feel very mysterious to us or feel strange, and we're kind of diving into them to kind of explore how do we actually live these gifts. So how do we clear up some of the confusion that might be around them? But kind of just to catch us all up to speed together, when we talk about spiritual gifts, this is what we mean and what we're talking about is that spiritual gifts are a specific ability that is given to all followers of Jesus by the Holy Spirit for the sake of ministering to one another. So if you've chosen to put your trust in Jesus, and I hope you have, or I hope you're on a journey towards that, you have a spiritual gift. But sometimes we don't know what these spiritual gifts are, and we have to learn and discover and kind of unpack and unwrap them so that we can use them for the sake of empowering one another. And Scripture actually goes on a little further and says that the purpose of spiritual gifts is so that we are empowered and equipped so that together we can achieve the mission that God has given the church. The church is not meant to be static. The church has a mission and has something we are pushing forwards to and being drawn towards. And that is what we're called to do together. And so for this chunk of the series, we've been talking about the power gifts. We've split them up into kind of three big categories, word, love, and power. And so these are the gifts that reveal that God is present with us now and display his supernatural power. But there's also something else that's significant about today. And that is if you happen to follow the church calendar, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the seventh Sunday after Easter. And this is the day of the year that the church sets aside to remember and to celebrate that this day, 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit descended upon the church. There was only 120 people left after Jesus' death and resurrection in Jerusalem that were staying true to their belief that Jesus is the Messiah, and they were all that was left. All the great crowds had wandered away. All the people had left and abandoned. 120 remained. And what happened was the Holy Spirit descended upon them in power, just like how God promised he would. And then when the Holy Spirit came, all the believers that were present started speaking in the languages of people who were visiting Jerusalem at the time, and they heard the gospel being preached in their own language. And in one day, the church goes from 120 people to 3,120 people. Isn't that incredible? In one day. And so the early church forms, and they're trying to work through how do we be the church? Because Pentecost is really the birthday of the church. This is when the church began. Jesus had talked about it as an idea, and then now it was actually coming into fulfillment. And so the early church lived in a radically different way than the society around them. They chose to give up their possessions and to take whatever they had that was excess, whatever they could, and they would give it to a kind of a communal pot, and they cared for the sick, they cared for the widows, they cared for the orphans. In fact, the early, little later on, one of the Roman emperors commented and wrote, he said, you know, why he hated the Christians so much is he said, those Christians take better care of people than Rome does, and soon enough, everyone's going to want to be a Christian, and no one will want to be part of Rome because the Christians were so different in their care for one another. And so everything seems like it's going amazingly well. And then 
we come screeching to a halt in Acts 5. And this is the passage we're going to spend most of our time in today is Acts 5, which is the first kind of internal conflict that happens in the early church. Now, we're talking about a passage that if you were to poll a large group of pastors and say, what is your least favorite passage of scripture to preach on? Chances are Acts 5 is going to be in the top three. This is a passage that has some strange things going on that we look at and we scratch our heads. and We're like, what does this mean? In fact, most pastors, you'd probably, if you come here and you're like, oh, we're talking about Acts 5, I would rather, Brian, just talk about sex or money today. Like, come on, why are we talking about Acts 5? Because Acts 5 is where things went wrong, and, but we get to see something in this passage. And this is what I don't want you to miss. We get to see how the church handles conflict. We get to see how the church relies on the Holy Spirit in the issues that come up. And we get to see all three of the last remaining power gifts that we're talking about in the series. They're all in this one passage. And so that's why we're going there today. So let me, so let me background this a little bit. Right before Acts 5, the end of Acts 4, there's this man named Joseph. And it says, Joseph, all we know about him is his nickname was the Son of Encouragement. And Joseph had a field that he sold and he took all the money from that field and he gave it to the apostles and said, here, use this for what you need. Use this to care for people. Use this to proclaim the gospel. And everyone celebrated and was so joyful and thank you of Joseph. So this must have been quite the piece of land. And then we get to Acts 5. Let me read this to you. Acts 5 verses 1 and 2. But then there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. And with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. You know, now we're, we're starting to see something. He and his wife chose together to act in a way that was deceitful towards the church. And so they come to the apostles and here's what happens. Peter says this, he says, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Now, I want to just kind of pause for a second there. When we say Satan, and notice it's a lowercase, our scripture often puts an uppercase and treats Satan like it's a name. It's actually not. It actually just means, it's a role that means the opponent. And one of the things that we sometimes choose to forget in the church, or maybe we just kind of dismiss it, we push to the side, is that it's not just God and nothing. There is actually an enemy who wants to deceive, who wants to disrupt, who wants to hinder the church, that wants to prevent us from growing closer to God. And so Peter looks at Ananias and he says, why have you let the enemy fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. And then he goes on and he says this, the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but lying to God. See, Peter's actually showing Ananias, there was a way out. You could have just said, this is part of the money. And they would have been like, okay, great. And it never would have made it into scripture. Luke would not have recorded this when he wrote the story of the early church in the book of Acts. So there's always a question that comes up to me. How could Peter possibly know that Ananias lied about giving the money to the church? How could Peter know? And in fact, there's a hint. There's a little hint that it's pointing to a spiritual gift. In 5 verse 3, it says, Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. See, in this very moment, Peter knew something about the spiritual realm that he could not have known from any human method. 
And sometimes people will say, well, this was like that, that, that word of wisdom or word of knowledge that we talked about a couple weeks ago, but this one is specific. What Peter's using in this moment is a spiritual gift called the discernment of spirits. Discernment of spirits is what enabled Peter to be able to recognize the heart behind Ananias' deceitful action. And so that's the first spiritual gift we're going to look at today is this one, the discernment of spirits, which Paul later on, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. He just gives us this. He says, the Holy Spirit gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. And depending on the translation, sometimes they don't include that whether a message. They say that this is about discerning if this spirit is a spirit of the Holy Spirit, if this is one of God's messengers, if this is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who's actually active in the moment, or whether it's one of those other spirits, the spirits that are trying to hinder God. See, what this passage makes us confront is the reality that there is a spiritual realm that we are often unaware of. And in fact, there is a spiritual realm where there are entities, spirits, sometimes we use the term demons, that are trying to hinder the church and trying to hinder our growth in our faith and kind of go, kind of how do we grow closer to God? Now this is where you're thinking, wow, man, we should have just done a service on money or sex, right? Now we're going to dive into this because there's something important in this for the church for us to learn. See, we're going to go to our friend, uh, Robert Clinton. He's going to help us with the definition on this. He says, and he expands on this, as this is what he compiles from Scripture. He says, the discerning of spirits gift is the ability to perceive issues in terms of spiritual truth. That's what Peter demonstrated. He knew the spiritual truth behind the action. And it says, to know the fundamental source of the issues and to give judgment concerning these issues And this includes recognition of the spiritual forces that are operating. So this is what Peter did. When Ananias brought it, the Holy Spirit is prompting Peter and giving him the wisdom to know what's really happening, that Ananias is doing this action out of a heart of total deceit. In fact, the word that is used in the Greek goes a little stronger than our English says lied. The Greek actually says that he has embezzled from the Holy Spirit. He has, in fact, mistreated the, the spirit of the church. He has mistreated the church as a whole because he wants the benefits of being part of the church, but he still wants to embezzle and keep that for his own selfish greed and his ambition. And so this spiritual gift, what it allows us to do is to be aware of the spiritual realities that surround us and enables us to be effective agents in God's mission because it lets us know what's really happening, what's happening behind what we see with our own eyes. And so this gift is a gift that often brings revelation, it brings insight, and it also brings guidance as well. So what happens next? Acts 5, verse 5 to 6. So remember, Peter just said to Ananias, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've embezzled of the Spirit. You could have just kept the money yourself if you wanted to, but you did this. Here's what happens. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he falls to the floor and died. Everyone who heard was terrified, Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out back, and buried him. (laughs) Like, instant. Now, this is one of those passages that we look at and we say, this doesn't feel very Jesus-y. This doesn't feel very gospel-ish. Couldn't he have had a chance to repent? Couldn't he have had a chance to say, oh, I'm sorry, here's the rest of the money? No. For whatever reason, and we're going to get to the reason in a moment, he just dies instantly. And this little fact of that they went and they wrapped him in a sheet and buried him immediately 
yeah, that actually changes their burial practices because there would have been a time of mourning for anyone who died. But the fact that he was buried instantly means that the entire church recognized this was a cosmic judgment from God on him and his condition and his lying. He doesn't get a chance to repent. And we're all kind of like, I don't really like this passage. Yeah, we don't like this passage. But that's what happens. Now, three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked Sapphira, was this the price for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. Peter gave her an opportunity. Was this the price? She could have said no. But she said, that was the price. And so in uh, the next verse, Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she falls to the floor and dies. The young men came in, saw she was dead. They carried her out, buried her beside her husband. You know, two funerals, one day, just like that. Bang, bang. Kind of scary. But here's why. See, the next verse tells us this. It says, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, this actually isn't the fear that means reverence and respect. This is actually like, whoa, this is scary. See, what's happening in this is God is setting up the Holy Spirit to recognize that the Holy Spirit is powerful. That how we act has consequences, how we act matters, and how we treat the Holy Spirit is of utmost importance. Their deaths demonstrate to the church that there are consequences to mistreating the Holy Spirit. And we understand this. We know that things that are powerful demand respect. You know, we know safety rules around gun laws are there to protect people because guns have the capability to harm and kill people. I've told you guys the story before of when I mistreated uh, a process I was doing to remove rust off of old car parts and it was creating pure hydrogen and it quite literally blew up in my face because I was, went to my inner junior high boy and I thought, oh, this would be really cool to blow this up, wouldn't it? You know, fortunately, the only thing that was harmed in that was my pride, <laughs> You know, I didn't have any physical injuries other than my ears ringing for a while. But when something is powerful, when you have pure hydrogen in a foamy bubble solution, you don't stick a flame up to it because that is not treating something that's powerful with respect. That is what Peter and the Holy Spirit are teaching to the church in this moment. The Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit demands our respect. This isn't an ask for respect. This is a demand for respect because the Holy Spirit is powerful. And if we mistreat the Holy Spirit, there are always consequences. So while we look at this passage and we say, man, that is just awful. What it did to the church is it made them recognize we are dealing with something real. We are dealing with something powerful and we need to handle it well. And so this gift of discerning spirits, what do we actually know about this in forms of a gift? And so the gift of discerning spirits is when the Holy Spirit will prompt people, give them insight, and sometimes give them visions or pictures to see what is happening in the spiritual realm around us in ways that other people cannot see. And oftentimes, these will be repeated experiences of saying that this happens time and time again where you'll be somewhere and you will see something. Either you will see the Holy Spirit or messengers of the Holy Spirit, or sometimes you will see the demons and the evil spirits of the world and how they are trying to afflict us. But here's the truth. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be worried about this at all because Jesus is not scared. God is not scared. The Holy Spirit is not scared. 
We sometimes might be, but we don't need to be because there's something very critical to know. God has already won his victory. The problem with our world today is that the evil one, Satan, has not recognized that he has been defeated. We are in this kind of armistice era where the forces of evil are trying to hinder the church because they have not admitted they have been defeated already. That because when Jesus died and rose again, all power over life and death belonged to God. And it was the demonstration of that to our world. So there's no reason to be scared or worried of evil spirits. But we need to understand that they are there, and it is actually up to us to protect and to cast them out. In fact, we're going to get to the next two spiritual gifts work together with this one to say, how do we actually wage spiritual warfare? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But there's one more kind of, or two, sorry, little things I want to say. This is something about this gift. If you have this gift, if you sometimes are able to see an experience where the Holy Spirit prompts you and gives you this ability, how you share that information matters. Because this gift is never to be used to accuse someone. Now, Peter used it to accuse someone because he was the spiritual authority. He was the head apostle. He had the authority and the action to do that. But for us today, sometimes we get that wrong. We don't, we're not Peter. But even if we have this gift... This gift is not to be used to accuse someone. What this gift is for is to coach and encourage and to guide, to come alongside people and help them understand what's really happening and how do we work through this together? How do we pool the gifts together? Because no gift is meant to be used in isolation. We need the other gifts around these gifts and these gifts connect together for us to do what God is calling us to do, which is to set captives free, to set people free of what afflicts them. For us to be able to be the fulfillment of what God has called us to do means we actually have to live out these gifts. And the last piece about this gift is don't assume that every negative thing that happens in your life is because of some evil spiritual force. Yesterday morning, I was leaving the house to go to my second office, a coffee shop, to finish up my message. And as I get in my car, I go to start it, and it makes this awful sound. I turn it off, pop the hood quickly, it threw the belt, and the harmonic balancer came off. Now, if I was, you know, thinking like, oh no, Satan's trying to prevent me from writing my message. Okay, that's not true. I drive an old car because I hate making car payments. Old things break down. That was not a spiritual attack on me that my car wouldn't start yesterday morning and that now I got to do some work on it. Don't assume that every negative thing that happens in your life is because of a spirit. Because if we go that route, we're just going to end up chasing circles and chasing our own tails and we're not going to be effective. Only assume something actually came from a spiritual reality if the Holy Spirit tells you and if there's confirmation. These gifts work together with gifts of wisdom and knowledge and gifts of prophecy to say, okay, this is actually a spiritual issue we're dealing with. Sometimes the issues that afflict us are spiritually rooted, and then we need to respond spiritually. Sometimes the issues that affect us are because my car is old. Well, then I just got to fix it. You know, praying isn't actually, well, maybe it could. Maybe God would want to just be like, ha ha, you were wrong. I could pray and be like, okay, God, put that pulley back together. And he might do it just to kind of mock me. But it just needs to be fixed, so we fix it. Don't assume everything is spiritual unless the Holy Spirit tells you otherwise. And so that's discernment of spirits. We're going to come back at the end of how do these work together. But the next verse 
after this. So Acts 5.11 says everyone's fearful and terrified of what they hear. And then Acts 5, the first half of verse 12, then says this. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Isn't that like just a juxtaposition? Everyone's terrified. Oh, and then the apostles were doing miracles and wonders and signs. We're like, what do we do with this? Like, come on, Luke, give us more detail in your passage. But he doesn't. So when we pull together, what is this gift of miracles? And Luke doesn't even tell us what the miracles are, just that they were happening. And I really wish Luke would tell us more, but he doesn't. The gift of miracles is a gift that demonstrates God's absolute power and sovereignty over both the natural world and the supernatural. In fact, when we look at Jesus's ministry, we look at the gospels, the first miracle that he performed was actually one of celebration. He turned water into wine at a wedding feast when they forgot to buy enough wine. That was actually an announcement of God's kingdom, an announcement that it was time to celebrate, that God was doing something. Every time that Jesus performed a miracle, whether it was turning water into wine, calming the storm, walking on water, feeding the great crowds, casting out demons, healing people, every time he did a miracle, there was a purpose behind it. And the gift of miracles is focused on demonstrating who, de- focused on demonstrating who God is to people who have never heard the message of Jesus. And this is confirmed as we keep going in Acts 5 where it says this, all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple, but no one else dared to join them, even though the people had a high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. So whatever these signs and wonders that the apostles were doing, whatever this gift is that the Holy Spirit was giving, however that was lived out, was drawing people into faith in Jesus. That is what this gift is ultimately about. This is a gift that is often correlated with people coming to faith for the first time because it's recognizing who God is. It's recognizing that God is powerful, that God is sovereign, that God can, you know, really is who he says he is. We sang a song this morning about recognizing that we are who God says we are. But do we actually recognize that God is who he says he is? And that's what this gift of miracles is about. And One of the things that I find a little frustrating with the New Testament is we don't get any concrete examples of this gift later on in Acts. We get that they keep saying it happened and people responded. It happened, people responded. And we don't get any this is what happened. And so this is a gift that if this happens, this gift of miracles, we need to share stories of it. You know, if you've experienced this, you need to tell me about it. You need to tell our elders. You need to tell your life group about it, of saying, look, this is how God has acted in miraculous ways. Because we need to share those stories so that we recognize who God is, so that we recognize what he's able to do. But stories about this, often when we hear them, they come from our international workers who go into closed access countries where they can't tell people that they're followers of Jesus. When they go under you know, a different type of visa so that they can build a community and start telling people about Jesus. Those are the places where we start hearing reports about this gift of miracles. And it often correlates with people coming to faith for the first time. But this spiritual gift, like all spiritual gifts, can be used improperly and in unhealthy ways. And so we've been talking a bit about that. How do we make sure we don't use these gifts in unhealthy ways? Because if a spiritual gift is used to bring attention, prestige, favor, or recognition to the person using the gift, then we're using it improperly. Because remember, all gifts are about the church, about equipping and building up the church for God's purposes, not our own. And Jesus actually demonstrated this before he performed his first miracle. 
If we go all the way back to Matthew 4, a time when Jesus was baptized, and then he immediately went out to the wilderness, and he was tempted for 40 days. He went 40 days without food or water. And during that time, the devil came to him and said, if you really are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Perform a miracle. Feed yourself. And Jesus tells him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus refused to perform a miracle, even though he could have. He refused to perform a miracle for his own benefit. Every single time that Jesus performed a miracle was about the benefit of other people so that they would hear the message of Jesus. So this gift of miracles needs to happen in ways that build up and empower the church. And so we've talked about the the gift of discernment of spirits has popped up in Acts 5. We've talked about the gift of miracles, even though it's a little vague because we don't actually have that much in Scripture. It's one that we have to experience and work through together. And then Acts 5 continues on and says this, As the result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. This is the last spiritual gift in this series we're talking about. When we talk about the gift of healing. The gift of healing is a way that God demonstrates his power over everything by using certain people as conduits for his healing power to happen. And one of the things that we always come up to in this, and whenever we talk about the topic of healing is why. Why does God heal? Well, God heals to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But we also ask, well, why does God heal some and not others? And this isn't the most comforting answer, but this is the answer that's true. It is always God's choice if someone is to be healed in a supernatural way or not. We cannot control or guarantee that God will heal someone. The gift of healing is completely up to God and the Holy Spirit if it gets released and used to heal whatever affliction someone is facing. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for it. We pray for healing. In fact, it's talked about as a discipline that all of us are to pray for the gift of, or pray for healing to happen. But some people get this gift and some people get this kind of unique ability that when they pray, things happen. And this gift actually has a weird thing where it tends to be contagious, where you might not discover you have the gift of healing until you're around someone else who does and you're witnessing and seeing their gift of healing in action. But one of the problem, one of the things that we often add to the gift of healing or add to God's way that he heals is we say, well, you know, if someone isn't healed, horrible abuses have been done in declaring that someone wasn't healed because there was something wrong with them. Of saying that, you know, this person, well, they didn't get healed because they have hidden sin in their lives. They have something they refuse to confess. And a lot of people have been harmed and damaged by that message. And scripture actually says that that message is completely false. If we go back to Jesus and when he was with his disciples in John 9, there's this experience where Jesus is walking along and he sees a man who has been blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, Rabbi, why is this man blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? They don't say, or something else. They say it's his sin or his parents' sin. That's the only way he could be born blind. And Jesus says, it is not because of his sin or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. When Jesus heals people. It is always about something bigger. In fact, when we read about Jesus healing people, we often fixate on the healing as if the healing was the end goal. But it's not. 
The true purpose of healing is for God to display his supernatural power over everything. And this happens in John 9, just a few verses later. Because the people around this blind man say, you know, isn't this the man that used to sit and beg? How can he see now? Some said, no, it's just someone who looks like him. He's not that. How could he be healed? And the beggar kept telling them, yes, I am the same one. And then they respond, well, who healed you? What happened? And the blind man gets to tell people, this man named Jesus of Galilee came and he healed me. He gave me my sight back. That is the purpose of the gift of healing, so that God is glorified. And now this gift of healing, when it happens, um, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, he says, the same spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else the spirit gives the gift of healing. And the gift of healing is this special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to serve as a human intermediary to whom it pleases God to cure illness and restore health apart from the use of natural means. Now, that's a big, long definition. But this is the core that we need to remember about it. All of us are called to pray. All of us are called to take whatever worries, anxieties, you know, issues we have and bring them to God in prayer. And in fact, some people then get this supernatural gift of healing where when they pray, the Holy Spirit empowers their prayers and works in ways that we do not expect. And so the gift of healing happens to display God's power. In fact, we've, you know, we've talked about this before, times where we, you know, we know people who the doctor said, well, there's nothing left to do, and then they get healed. Or we hear stories of people who, you know, when they're on the mission field and something happens to them and they pray and God heals them, and they act when they had no access to any sort of medical technology, but God intervenes and heals them so that they can accomplish the mission that God sent them there for. The gift of healing is actually always about God's glory and God's power and God's mission being accomplished. It's not actually about the healing itself. And so with this gift of healing, we have to sometimes ask, is it guaranteed? You know, if you think you've been healed, one of the general rules that I'll just say to make sure that we have this on record, don't quit taking your medication, don't throw out your cane, you know, don't immediately act like, oh, I don't have any problems. Because what I want you to do is actually, if you're healed from something, go talk to your doctor. Because when you tell them, hey, you know, suddenly like my sickness is gone, my issue is gone, then the doctors are actually confronted with saying, oh, something happened. Well, what, what did you do? What happened? Well, my church gathered and we prayed. See, what it does is it confronts people with the reality that God is powerful, that God can do things that we don't expect. But on the flip side, we also cannot guarantee healing. In fact, Paul himself talks about the thorn in his flesh, that even though he prayed continually, God never took it away from him. Timothy had stomach ailments that constantly plagued him. And Peter told him, you know, here's what you need to do about your stomach ailment. Timothy was not healed of his issue. Paul was not healed of his issue. And they're two of the biggest leaders in the early church. We cannot expect or guarantee or claim God will heal everything, but we're still told this, in 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. But in the midst of that, in the midst of God caring for us, in the midst of our pain, our suffering, our issues, we need to remember something. And I'm going to take us back to September for a moment when we did a, a different series, when we talked about the problem of suffering. Christianity is the only worldview that gives meaning to suffering and pain. 
Because Christianity is the only worldview, the only religion, the only way of seeing life where our God meets us in our suffering so that we will grow and that God achieves his purposes. Every other worldview has some sort of way of saying, well, you just need to transcend your suffering. You just need to escape your suffering. You just need to get rid of it. But only Jesus gives meaning of saying, in your suffering, I will meet you. I will give purpose to it. And if you want to know more about that, head to our website, search for the problem of suffering. It's a message we did as part of a problem of God series last fall. But these three gifts, let's wrap these up together. These three gifts work together for a purpose, to display God's supernatural power. In fact, if a gift, if a miracle happens, it's the people with the gift of discerning that are able to say, yes, that's God, or no, that wasn't. And in fact, when it's time, when someone is coming and looking for healing, it's people with the gift of discerning spirits that are able to recognize and say, yes, God is going to heal, or you know what, maybe it's not going to happen, but we're still going to pray for it because God still wants to surprise us, and sometimes we get it wrong. And that's one of the areas where we want to get it wrong because we want to see God move. In fact, these gifts work together in a ways that declare who God is, that declare his kingdom, that declare his love for us, that declare his purposes way louder and way bigger. But with these gifts, you know, there's some hurdles. And I want to end similar to how we ended last week of saying, where are you at? And it's okay wherever you are on this. Because some of us are here and we're sitting here and we're still in a place of saying, you know, I think I'm kind of dismissive towards these gifts. I don't think God will work in these ways. Or maybe we're a little bit further and we're cautious. We say, you know, maybe God can work in these ways. Maybe we're expectant of saying, you know, I want to see God work in these ways. I want to see God's spirit move. Or are we confident and saying, I know that God will work in these ways. Because all of us are at different points on that. If we drew it out on a spectrum, we said, you know, put a check mark where you are. All of us would be on different places. And that is okay. We don't all have to be at the same place for God to work. But what God is calling us to in these gifts is that we actually get to be agents of his power, of his reality, of his kingdom, shaping the whole world. And so I want to leave you with this question. Are you willing to ask God for the confidence to believe? Are you willing to ask God for the confidence to believe that he can and does work in these ways? Because this is an area where we sometimes need help from the Holy Spirit of saying, you know what, I don't know. I'm on that dismissive side, but maybe I don't want to stay there. God, can you help me take one step? How do we move forward into accepting that these gifts exist? Because Scripture talks about them as if they're real. Scripture talks about them in real, practical ways. So what do we do with that? Let me end with praying for us. Lord, you work in ways that we don't understand. Our minds are finite and limited, but you are infinite and you are unlimited. You call us deeper into a walk with you. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray for the people in this room and part of our community who have these gifts of discerning of spirits, the gift of miracles, and the gift of healing. And for many who have this gift, this gift may be unknown to them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would prompt people I pray that you would start speaking and guiding and leading them in. And I pray that you would help them discover the reality of these gifts. And Lord, with these gifts, would you help people grow a deep and nurturing relationship with you? Because these gifts, if we get off the rails, 
you know, we can really mistreat people without meaning to. And so, Lord, would you protect the people with these gifts? Would you protect their relationship and their walk with you so that as a community, as a whole, we are all encouraged by these gifts? And Lord, I pray for the other gifts of this series that we've talked through, the gifts in the love and the word and the power category. Lord, would we be open to receiving the gifts that you have? Would we be discovering the gifts we have that we do not know? And would we be learning to excel in using them as you have guided us to use them? And Lord, would these ultimately proclaim who you are, your goodness and your glory here in Brandon? Would this be the start of something in our church that shapes who we are and starts to influence our community of people recognizing how amazing you are, your love for us, and drawing us deeper in faith with you? In your name we pray these things. Amen. Next week, we are going to bring this whole series to a close and talk about how do we live out all these gifts in community? How do we work through these? But if you're wanting to go deeper on this topic, I want to invite you to head to our website, head to the In the Loop page. You'll see the info of what's coming up here at our church. But there's also a link that says Discussion Questions. And there are some questions to help you wrestle with this topic, to maybe talk about in your life group, talk about with your spouse or with a friend, to help you go deeper. So folks, I hope to see you here next Sunday. We're going to bring this series to a wrap together. Have a great week. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.